You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Welcome. It's good to have you here this day on what they call the High Feast of Super Bowl. I always think that's a joke. And Vicki, you're wearing your red. That's not for Valentine's Day, by the way. It's for the Chiefs. Yay or boo? I can't. Yeah. Okay, I know. Things that can divide us. I, um, if that's the only thing that divided us, I'd be happy with that, right? Well, welcome. It's good to have you here today. This has been um, a really enjoyable uh, series to preach and to also have someone else be preaching in. Carl, you did an amazing job with it as well. This B series, as I said at the beginning of the of January, when we started the series for the new year, often we make to-do lists, and I think the Bible focuses on the to-be lists, how we are to be. We're human beings, not human doings. And today, I think we cap it off. And um, in some ways, this. If we get this one down, I think the rest of them follow. It's just, um, and that today, we're going to focus on be loved, okay? Be loved. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears... We shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. From this text, we're going to uh, focus on three points, very easy. That is, behold, beloved, and become. Two of those words we don't use too often, behold. When's the last time you said behold? Behold. Sounds a little pompous, doesn't it? (laughs) I guess. But actually, that's the first word in our text. Now, the translation we had was see. (laughs) But it's really the word to behold, to open up, to see what's going on. So what does John mean when he says, behold? He's not saying, search intently, find that little needle in the haystack somewhere, try to figure out what's going on. Maybe if you got that, you know, figure out what that secret sauce is or that uh, special little, you know, nuance here or there, you might just find it. No, behold is the fact that it's so obvious, just amazingly obvious. All you can do is go like, wow. There it is. Behold is the word that you might use if um, you lead someone, a friend of yours, outside, maybe, or if I need to do this probably soon because of um, Lisa's automobile situation. 165,000 miles. Oh, wow. Okay. Parts are falling off. (laughs) It needs a continual anointing with oil. You know what I mean. Hey, it's been a faithful little Kia Soul, I mean, right? It's a lot of miles miles that she puts on. So I lead her outside, tell her to close her eyes, and then when she gets to the driveway, I ask her to open them and say, Behold, and there sits 
a new car. Wouldn't that be a Volkswagen Buzz? That's what she wants, an electric. They are not out yet, so it's going to be a while. <laughs> but that's a behold. Or the fact that maybe somebody would lead you, uh, kind of surprise. It's kind of like surprise party, behold, and you've got friends there you haven't seen in a long time. That's what behold means. It's the wow, the amazement, the joy. The, the just cherishing the moment. Or maybe uh, somebody says, hey, I've got, I, just follow me. And they lead you down this path. And you're just wondering, why in the world are you going through this path and through the thick and thicket until you get to this beautiful vista, behold, and you get to see the sunset and just be amazed at it. That's all that John is asking for here, behold. So, um, Georg Strecker, when he commented on this verse, he says, to call, the call to see implies the admonition to entrust oneself unconditionally to the gift of agape. And the word agape there is this unconditional love of God. Um, we could go down that path, you know, of the four different words for love in Greek. This one means the love of God that is just given because you need that love, not because of anything you deserve, not because of anything you've done, not because of any way that you're attractive, but just the fact that God loves, that God is this love. That's what John gets at. And behold, that means to just embrace it, be embraced by that love, to allow yourself to be loved. Hmm. And we'll find out what we behold, what we focus on, what we allow to see, to actually see, is what we become. It changes us. It transforms us. But we'll get there. Our second point is simply beloved or beloved. How, when's the last time you said beloved? It would be a good word to use. We just don't use it. It sounds kind of old English-y these days. Um, but it's a great word to describe what John says is the Christian life. In fact, John, who wrote this uh, text, 1 John chapter 3, this letter, we believe is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. Now, his name does not appear in the Gospel as, you know, hi, this is John writing the Gospel. In fact, none of the four Gospels do the writers of those Gospels, the evangelists or apostles, write down their name as the one writing it. And that's no problem. They weren't focused on that. The Gospel's not about them. They don't want the credit for it. It's not like they're stepping aside and pointing to the center of it all, Jesus Christ himself. But John does hint at <laughs> who he is in this Gospel. By the end of the Gospel of John, there's a phrase that he uses, and it says, the one whom Jesus loves. That's all it says. Isn't that great? There's no better way to describe anyone than to say, I'm the one who Jesus loves. In fact, right now, I'd like you to turn to someone next to you and say, I know, guys, this one's hard. We don't like to, this feels a little weird. But uh, still do it. Turn to someone and say, I am the one whom Jesus loves. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, turn to that same person and say, you are the one whom Jesus loves. That is your identity. That makes all the difference. Now, there's a lot of people in this world that will try to define you, whether you're a Christian or not, not in those terms as John just used, or in this letter that says, behold, what love the Father has lavished upon us, that we would be children of God, beloved, in this text. Now, there's... Um, so a crass example of that, uh, the students know all too well, about 10 days ago, we had two days of the assault of the campus preachers, as we could call the movie if we made it. 20, 30 of these itinerant, um, self-appointed individuals came onto the campus, and they just castigated the students and anybody who walked by, especially, sadly, it was a bit misogynist, a bunch, uh, anytime a, uh, a female student walked by with shorts on, they you know, pointed out how they were sinners. Anyone with tattoos, anyone with different colored hair, anyone that looked anything different, anyone who's a, quote, sinner. In fact, they believe that you must repent of all your sins, turn away from them, be delivered from them all, and so that you will no longer sin anymore. And they actually, talking to a couple of them, we did, found out they believe they don't sin anymore. Yeah, well, isn't that nice? So they've just said, if you're a sinner, you are not really a Christian. Okay? Now, that's a pretty crass one. It's a nice focus, because what's the focus then? It's on what you do or don't do, and it's on you. It's not on Jesus. It's all about your own attainment of some status that you have to get to yourself. It's a great version, a spiritual version of a self-help movement, or just call it what it is, works righteousness. It is not the gospel. Now, there are more subtle versions of this, and I think I've heard of some. I've experienced them myself. And where people um, will have some standard of what it means to be a Christian. And what I mean by that is their own personal experience of coming into the faith and what they've experienced in their life, they now project and expect every other Christian in this world to have the exact same experience. Have you ever met anybody like that? You know, so since they went through this, you have to too. And so are you a real Christian did you, when were you baptized? How were you baptized? By whom were you baptized? Or are you a real Christian? Did you walk the aisle? Did you give yourself to Jesus? What day, what time, what hour? Are you a real Christian? Do you speak in tongues? Are you a real Christian? Or do you smoke? <laughs> right? There's non-smoking and smoking. Which one do you want? You know, that type of thing. Have you ever experienced that? And you might doubt yourself and go like, well, I try to be a Christian. And you've just thrown yourself back on yourself as the definition of what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who does it, who tries, who's sincere, who's whatever. That is not the definition in this text. It's not the definition in Christianity. And if you think, well, I try to be a Christian, I'm not sure if I am, then you, you have not understood the gospel that John gives us here or the gospel throughout the New Testament. And I'm going to kind of morph a line from Yoda 
and say, you are or you're not, there is no try. Okay? You are a Christian or you're not a Christian. It's not about trying. Because the Christian faith is about your status. It is about your position that God has given you in Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. I am who you say I am. That's the song that we sang. It's not, I am who I think I am. I am what I've tried to become. It's not at all. It is, I am who you say I am, God, and I am a child of God. Christianity is not about what you do or don't do. That's why Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Beloved, Life of the Beloved, says this. First of all, you have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. Manipulative, controlling, power-hungry, and in the long run, destructive. And I think all those tendencies that we see, even within the Christian church, of people judging others by their own standards about, well, are you in or out, are you really or not, are destructive in the end. They are not the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are not what God says of you. And he goes on, the world tells you many lies about who you are, and you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this. Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in an everlasting belief. John, this is great, I know, and you read 1 John chapter 3, but John is writing to a bunch of Christians already, so he probably knows them, and it probably somehow he didn't write it to just anybody. So how are you sure that this is for me? You know, maybe I don't qualify in that sense. Maybe they were some super wonderful Christians that John was writing to and said these things. Well, this is what also John writes in his gospel in the first chapter. He says, to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It is for all who have received him. Not, it is for all who measure up. All who have accomplished great things, all who have an amazing faith, all who are really trying hard. No. Not even all who have had the human willpower. Notice that? Not the not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. It's not your willpower that makes you a Christian. But those who are born of God, those who are brought into the kingdom through the gospel itself. You are a child of God. Now, uh, my kids don't have to do anything to stay my kids. No, it's pretty obvious, right? And uh, many of you know, no matter how old your children are, they're still your children, right? They could be 50 years old. They're still your kids. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you, my kids, they could dye their hair. They could pierce their skin a thousand times. They could move to Zambia. It won't change the fact that they're still my children. When my kids are behaving beautifully, 
They are not more my children. There's Lisa kids when they're handling beautifully. And when they're, ha um, they're behaving badly, they're my children. No, But they're not less our kids. They can't change that status. It's not a performance. It's about status. Take this for an example. Uh, maybe in the future, we will have a younger president who actually has children, maybe a three-year-old in the household. Okay. And so this younger president, um, what does this three-year-old girl have to do to get the president's attention? Does she have to make an appointment? Does she have to go through screening? You know, be patted down every time she comes into the presence of her uh, mother or father? No, at 3 in the morning when the lightning is going and the thunder and everything and the White House feels like it's rumbling along, this three-year-old kid can run into the bedroom and climb into bed. Why? She has access. She has status. She is a child. That is you. An employee may ask, for some things in a new contract to negotiate pay and certain rights and privileges. But a daughter at 3 in the morning can call out, Mommy, Daddy, I'm scared, and they will come running. Even when that child has been ornery during the day. That's what it says in this text. Being a Christian is the status that has been bestowed and given to you by grace poured out on you, regardless of anything that you've ever done. And you might go, well, that's nice. I know God has to love me, you know, because God is love. Yeah, maybe that's true, because that's who he is. But you know how much he loves you? This is what amazes me this week. I was just reading again, and so often we read through the New Testament, and we think we know what it says, and we hear it, and we, sit, and we move on. And so in Jesus, uh, what's called the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he prays intimately to the Father, and we kind of get into the middle of this prayer by listening along with him and being prayed for by that prayer. And in it, in John 17, Jesus says this, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you understand what that says? How much does God love you? As much as he loves his own son, the perfect son of God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and doesn't that kind of follow because if God so loved the world that he gave his only son, he gives up everything for you. If he loved the son more than he loved you, he would have held him back. No, I love him a little more. I'm not going to put him through that. I mean, I'll love you, but I'm not going to love you quite that much. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? This is the overtop kind of love God has for you, though. He loves you as much as he loves his son, Jesus. 
the perfect son of God who has always been obedient, who's always been responsive, and he loves us even when we've been rebellious, even when we've turned our back from him, even when we were just mean and nasty to each other. And in fact, Jesus Christ enters into this world and goes through the hell of the cross itself to display the love of God fully and completely and to die in our place so that that love can break in at any moment in any situation and you never ever could question how much God loves you. God cannot love you more than he already does now. And in a billion years from now, when you are glorified and in his presence, he's not loving you more than he does right now. That's what it says. The text says, we are children. Now we are children of God. It's not some distant future. What we behold is just amazing. The fact that we are beloved. And that will move us to become our third point. 1 John 3, 2 to 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I don't recall growing up hearing much about this. Um, some call it, uh, there's a theological term for everything. Uh, some call it theosis. Theosis, yeah. God imbue, uh, God divinization in a sense, I know. Not that you'll become divine, but that you will be so imbued and glorified, you're gonna like glow. <laughs> you're going to be glorious. Do you see? He says, when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. Now, um, at my mother's funeral this fall, she had written down 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24 as a verse that she wanted at her, her, uh, as part of the message. And it's the one I used, and this is what it says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. And that last phrase, he calls you as faithful, he will surely do it, is a promise. It is not a wish dream. It's not a hope. And so you have the God of peace, the God of community, the God of wholeness and shalom, and the God of love who is going to bring you and sanctify you completely so your whole soul, spirit, and body will be kept blameless for the return of Jesus Christ who will then glorify you so much so on that day that we would look at you and be so astounded, we'd almost fall down in wonder and worship, but for the one who's even more glorious, Jesus Christ. You are going to become that glorious. That's a promise of God. That's what he's intended from the beginning. We are, were created in God's image, which basically means he wants to see his reflection in our lives and that we would enjoy and behold him. We are called to become what he is, and therefore that's why John says, so we will purify ourselves as he is pure. We become what we behold. 
Behold, you are the beloved, and you will become just like him. It was Charles Augustine, St. Bove, I doubt if I said his name properly, but I think he said just a very telling line, one I think that's worth remembering. He said, tell me who loves, who admires you, and I will tell you who you are. Think about that. God is the one who loves, who admires you, who gives all for you, who wants all for you. That is who you are. Let's pray. Lord, we, all we can do is behold and, and be in wonder that we are your children. Not by our willpower, not by our efforts, not by anything we've done, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you have loved us with such an everlasting love that it just, we cannot comprehend it all. All we can do is um, appreciate it just a little more each day. Help us to behold this, the lies that come at us from this world that we don't measure up, that we're not good enough, that we're not this, that, not that, that we don't qualify according to somebody else's standards, Lord. They're not the standards. They're not the way that you have come. Lord, yes, true, we are sinners. <laughs> if we would say we have no sin, all we're doing is deceiving ourselves, not you. But you are so faithful. You are so just. You forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess them all to you. We lay them all down. Because of your love, Lord, we know that we are loved. Because of your love, we know that we are forgiven. Absolutely no questions asked. We pray, Lord, that this message today would truly uh, move us to uh, show this kind of love to others, that we might see them as you see them, that we might uh, give them the hope that you have, that we would rejoice that we would celebrate and we would invite them to behold your goodness for their lives, Lord God. You know how many people have had tough times and they're still going on. We're still recovering from the hurricane, Lord. We're still dealing with all the stresses and strains of the pandemic. It just seems to go on and on, Lord God and others who have financial worries, and then others who, Lord, are facing uh, personal losses and difficulties, Lord, in relationships. Help us to see them in the perspective of how we are loved by you, Lord God. You are our Father, and we are your children, and we have access to you. We have status with you. We can come to you whenever we're scared. Whenever we're filled with anxiety, we can cast all those things on you because you care for us, Lord God. We can do it formally, together, informally, anytime, Lord. We thank you for that. So as you have forgiven our sins, as you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even when we don't, quote, measure up to the standards we'd like to live by, Lord, we know that we are loved, and we thank you for that. We pray that you would now move us to respond, to become, to, slowly but surely, what you would want us to be, 
just the amazing display of your, the magnificent display of your goodness and grace. And may that just kind of catch on in other people's lives as they see us, that they might be able to experience or to taste and see that you are good. Bless us, Lord, as we continue in our service with our tithes and offerings and prepare us with open hearts and open lives to receive uh, the Lord's Supper this day. All this we pray in your name, dear Jesus. Amen.